Hello, welcome to MonarchCast. We are talking about a lot of different royals today. I'm Allie. I'm Claire. And we're doing what we have dubbed bridge episodes, where we don't really have a specific royal to talk about, um, no particular person in history in mind, but we're going to talk more about a theme around monarchy that we do bring up quite a bit, um, but we're going to delve a little more in depth into that today, which is gossip. Gossip. Yeah. What's the tea? That's it. What's the tea? What's the 411? What's the juicy stuff? Yeah. Um, and, you know, we start every episode with a bit of gossip, um, but it's not just because we enjoy the scandal. Uh, it serves a bit of a purpose, um, you know. One of the questions that people constantly ask in regards to monarchy is, is it relevant? Is it still relevant to today's society? And okay, look, we are not here to answer that question because we are Americans. We come from a country with no monarchy and a proud history of democracy. So it's not in our DNA and it's not really our place to weigh in on whether monarchy has a place in the world. But I think the real question that we would want to ask is what has monarchy become? You know, because gone are the days of absolute monarchy. Um, like That's not to say that there is no place in the world where it exists, but certainly there are countries where they have, although honestly I would say an absolute monarchy, although the way that the world works these days, it probably looks a little bit more like a dictatorship. But in the Western world, certainly where we focus the most, monarchy has all but disappeared. And in the places where it still exists, it's a shadow of its former self. So, for example, you might say the Spanish royal family, where they're really, really not participating that much in government. Or even like the Italian royals, where they're just sort of dispersed across the globe. Um, You know... In other cases, they've worked to evolve with the times, such as Great Britain, where we have focused a lot of our attention. Um, Just for reference, you can see our episodes, The Rise of the House of Windsor, or My Kingdom for a Protestant, or even our intro series on Queen Elizabeth, are good references for how the British monarchy is constantly evolving. Um, Also, you know, look at our series on Henry VIII. I mean, that is arguably where you start to see an evolution from an absolute monarchy to to something a little different when he started to transform the church and it kind of started to look to the nobles like maybe we can't put all of our trust in an unstable king. Right. Um, that's absolutely true. And, you know, it's so funny. I was thinking probably the only remaining true monarchy in the world is North Korea <laughs> because it's a hereditary dictatorship, basically. <laughs> well, and you have Saudi Arabia where they Oh, that's have, right. They yeah. operate a lot like the, the Ottomans, I think, that we were talking about where you have a ruler and he might have several contenders for the heirs and it's not necessarily father to son it goes to like the strongest contender um but you know they are such a i don't want to call them a theocracy but their religion plays such a large role in their life and especially in saudi arabia where they are operating under sharia law and you would know more about this than i would because you studied that area of the world but it is I I hesitate to call it just a straight monarchy because I feel like it is so much more. But the model we're talking about is maybe more of like the Western model 
um you know look at Jap- but even look at japan they have an emperor but he he's purely ceremonial i mean it's he's he's not even i think you said he's not even allowed to have a political opinion about anything so i think that's the question is then what's the point what's the point so when yeah, why we, why are these people still living in palaces and you know being kept in a nice life what what's their value add to society right Right. So today, in many ways, it functions as a figurehead role and its significance is maybe perhaps greater in the pop culture sense than in the actual function of government. Um, And since most of the gossip that we talk about comes from the UK, I think that's what we'll focus on here. And I think in the context of the UK, that is certainly true. Um, You know, technically speaking, Queen Elizabeth II is the is it head of state but she's not the she's not the head of government yeah she's the head of state um but that's purely that's purely a figurehead role she's there almost there to open parliament she's there to open but it's ceremonial it's almost like it's almost like she's a totem of the might and dynasty of britain but she's not she's not making the laws i mean right now they have boris johnson (laughs) running the show which sorry guys um i would love love to know what those conversations are like oh she has her meetings with the prime minister (laughs) right and that but that's my point is like she has to ask him to form a government in her name but it is in her name only she has no no opinion on brexit she's not allowed to weigh in she's not allowed to influence anything and and technically speaking she's not even supposed to publicly have an opinion on any of that so so if you take all of that away, you know, really she's serving as a almost like a mascot for the country and and her role takes on a bigger significance in pop culture. And this is something that I think we've sort of as you said talked about a little bit tangentially, we've skirted around, but to me this is a really fascinating topic and I wanted to talk about it a little bit more because when I read gossip stories, I always have in the back of my mind, like, why is this story out there? What opinion is this going to sway? What is the point of the press reporting so feverishly on all of this? And I think we can unpack that a little bit and explore it. Let's do it. Yeah. So the first thing that I was thinking about I, is... You know what? I forgot to make tea. <laughs> Oh, so you can sip it and say that's yeah, the tea. Yeah, I was going to sip some tea. <laughs> um, you know, we talk about this a lot, and we talked about this a little bit in one of our episodes where I was talking about that really interesting article from The Cut where it's talking about the role of the press. So you do have a royal pack of reporters whose job is to follow the royal family. That's their beat. And I guess the question is why? Why would you go to journalism school, develop your career as a journalist just to follow the royal family around? But the idea is this idea of like gossip and press reporting serves almost as a check on any power that they might develop or gather around themselves so let's i think a really great behavior or bad behavior and i think um you know when the press is mad they take it out on the royals but they can only go so far so it's like a really symbiotic relationship that i find kind of fascinating um 
but an example of this is, you know, Queen Elizabeth is the current serving monarch and they kind of leave her alone, at least in her old age. You know, she's certainly been attacked in the press during her time. But Charles is maybe a better example. So anytime you see a negative story about Charles, it's kind of you have to take a step back and say, why is this out there? You know, what what are they trying to do? And almost feels like they're reminding him you're not king yet. And hey, guess what? You're not actually that popular. But Charles has actually become more and more popular as he gets older. So it's almost like them saying to Charles, wait your turn, man. It's a check on his power, you know, because Queen Elizabeth has given him more and more power. But every time you see a negative story or a negative story about Camilla, I just find that really fascinating where it's almost like they're serving as a babysitter in a sense. Yeah, it it, it does kind of have that like nanny kind of sense, right? Like the press is almost nannying them. Yeah, and I just think that that's kind of interesting because sometimes you can read stories, and we, we've definitely, definitely seen this with Meghan Markle and the coverage that she's received, especially when she first started dating Harry and he put up out that story like or that statement that said, like, leave her alone. Basically, like, my girlfriend is not a public figure and you can't attack her and blah, 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 blah. And that enraged the press. And I feel like they have not forgiven Harry for trying to tell them what to do. And so anytime no, Megan gets I think really positive because sorry. Oh, no, it's OK. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, I think it's that they continue to do that, too. Like, you know, not having the photo call with Archie outside the hospital and, you know, having one reporter there, like when they do the photo call, like I think they're very intentionally keeping the press at arm's length and not being quiet about their reasons and why they're and then, doing it and you know it, and the press hates it but the press also hasn't earned their privilege back so but that's 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 the, what I mean is like it's a push and pull because then you see negative story after negative story and some of them are frankly quite ridiculous um you mean but it's almost like it's such a, a horrible thing that she did, guest editing an issue of Vogue. <laughs> right. But if they had a better relationship, the coverage would have been completely different. And that's why I'm not I'm not defending anyone in this situation. I'm just saying it's a really interesting position that they're in where they say, well, like, oh, you're getting positive coverage or you're really popular. We can take you down a peg because you haven't played by our rules. But it's so crazy because, like, I just don't believe for a minute that, I mean, Harry and Meghan are such an interesting example, but I, just because of the coverage that she's gotten so far, I don't believe for a minute that if she were to give them any sort of gift of her presence, right, like, that they would write about her positively. Like, even when she was new and shiny and, like, Harry's getting married and, like, she had done nothing to them, they wrote gross, horrible, racist coverage about her. And still so many of them seem completely unable to recognize their own bias against her. Um, And I think some of it, yes, is retribution because they feel like they don't have access. But I think a lot of it is just they can't help themselves. And I don't really believe that if Harry and Meghan were to have done a photo call with Archie, like Meghan wouldn't have been slammed. 
for like wearing the wrong shoes or you know doing something I think you're right and I think that you bring up kind of an an interesting point is that these people almost think of themselves as gatekeepers for what is royal what is acceptable royal behavior because they cover the royals so they think of themselves as yeah and they think of themselves as experts and um you know kate went through this a little bit to a, a certainly a less racist extent but she's a commoner so right. when she joined the royal family there was a lot of coverage about like her family and the you know there's the joke that they used to tell when she would enter her room and supposedly William's friends would all whisper oh doors to manual because her mother was a flight attendant and I always wondered like where did that start did that start with one of his friends or did a reporter start that rumor because it has persisted and I don't know. Sometimes I wonder when stuff gets reported, is it is it really the so-called upper class that's being so classist? Awful. Classist? <laughs> or is it is it the coverage? Is it getting even made even worse in the coverage? I mean, who's to really say? Because without actually knowing anybody from this social circle, I have no idea what these people are truly like. But the British press in its own weird way, does not seem as beholden to sourcing <laughs> as maybe other other press um, press machines, right? Like the, you know, you look at some of the stuff that gets printed in the Daily Mail and it's like, no one's looking at that before it goes out the door. So, like, unless they say something that's like alarmingly untrue, like little rumors like that, like they can just... Right. And you're right. Like it could be just the press like expressing their feelings about the fact that how dare this daughter of a former flight attendant marry the future king of England, you know, but that's the kind of thing that like would never be confirmed because if if their friends are saying that around her, then maybe it's a joke that they're all in on or if they're not, then they're not aware of it. But then there's also the same at the same time, you have those stories about right how like Will used to like test his friends with the press. Mm-hmm. So like none of his friends are actually none of his actual friends are going to be even telling that story to the press. Right. So right. it does raise a lot of questions around sourcing and, you know, the possibility that it's true. Um, I mean, we heard the same thing around Megan, right? Like Harry's friends didn't like that she was like anti-smoking or you know whatever and it's like maybe but like I just don't think who's talking like right people that are like talking to the press because if they're truly the people that are hanging out with you know Harry and William they're the people that have made it through this gauntlet of like trust and I just don't believe that they're talking to the press well and it's kind of interesting because as we talk about this you know we've talked about going all the way back to Eleanor of Aquitaine when she goes to Antioch and she's fighting with her husband and all of a sudden there are rumors that she's sleeping with her uncle. Right. And it's using gossip to control her, to put her down, to put her in her place. And on the flip side of that, you know, I was reminded when we talked about our Edward episode where Edward was this golden boy in public. The press in England just, he made him out, he was the inspiration for Prince Charming. 
and um was he really yeah well he was no he was like a prince charming like that was his nickname was like prince charming like the phrase prince charming comes from edward I thought you um, meant like he was like the inspiration for like Disney's Prince Charming. Oh, and I was like, well, it wouldn't be the first time they got it wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's where the phrase like Prince Charming comes from was in description of Edward. And the thing is, is that we know behind the scenes he was anything but, but he was protected. So it's it goes both ways. They can tear you down and they can also build you up. And the thing about Edward that got him in trouble was he got involved with an American and the American mm-hmm. press didn't play by the same rules. And that was how the the British public found out about his affair with Wallace Simpson was because the Americans were reporting on it because the British press was keeping it a secret. So it's kind of this like fascinating thing of like the symbiotic relationship of we can help you or we can hurt you, but we need you. And it's so funny that you bring up that example because now we're seeing the U.S. press as being much more kind Um and the British press is a bit cranky about it, right? Because they feel like they're being undermined. And in fact, they have been given a lot of early access and information that is being withheld from the British press because of their kinder coverage. I mean, and that, that, let's not forget the five friends who, you know, anonymously spoke up in defense of Meghan. So. Well, and that segues into my next thought, which is like the use of gossip as a weapon. Yes. And so I and this is kind of looking at the flip side of like looking at the participation of the royals, because I just like to be clear, don't kid yourself that they aren't participating in this system. Those five friends that went to People magazine, if you think they did that on their own without Megan's no. knowledge, then you, I, my friend, I have a bridge to sell you. Like I 100% it is, believe they did that without the knowledge of the Sussex press office, but they definitely did it with the knowledge of the Duchess of Sussex. Yes. I mean, if you think that that wasn't the case, then you're sorely mistaken. I mean, it's a game and it's it's that's what they all use it to their own benefit. Um, It can be useful. Uh, You know, again, see Edward, like when he started getting coverage, he started going to the British press to use them to his advantage. We talked about this with Victoria. Remember, we talked about how she started using her public image as a way to promote herself as a positive right. queen. Um, Charles and Diana used it against each other. Diana famously. Was, yeah, Diana was very good at it. <laughs> but she also did things that they never did before. She sat down for TV interviews. Right. To talk about the dirty laundry. Nobody had done that before. And then Charles was leaking stories about how she was unstable and had an eating disorder. And they, I mean, it was a war. It was a war. And it was in the press primarily. Um, You know, if you want to talk about current news stories, I think we've, you know, the last couple times we talked kind of danced around this. But I think given the events of the past weekend, we can't really avoid this anymore. Um, The Jeffrey Epstein case and Prince Andrew over the weekend, his name was revealed and accusations were leveled against him. And then Jeffrey Epstein died in prison. Um, Probably a suicide, but it's certainly convenient for I'm not saying Andrew did it. I'm saying there were a lot lot of powerful men who were named and, you know, it's probable that he killed himself, but um, the fact that it was allowed to happen, you know, kind of tells you that there was a lot at stake here. And 
what you're not seeing in the British press are stories about that. What you are seeing is stories about how Meghan and Harry took a private jet to Ibiza or Ibiza, however you want to say it, for her birthday. You're seeing stories about how... um, Fergie and Andrew are getting back together. Yes, yes. And Did you know? Oh, my goodness. Happy days. (laughs) Yes, yes. And you're seeing, like, stories in People magazine about how Kate is such a wonderful mother because she took – when she was just recently out with her kids and Charlotte stuck her tongue out at a bunch of reporters, she just laughed it off. I mean, is that worthy of a cover story on People magazine? I'm not sure it is. You know, the People coverage is really fascinating me – Um, because especially when you think about Andrew, it's almost as though Andrew had some inkling that this was coming because for two months now, they've been laying the groundwork of buffing up his image as a perfect father and, you know, devoted co-parent with his ex-wife and, you know, his daughters are publicly praising him and it all feels a bit odd because this is Andrew we're talking about nobody really cares about him in the American press and why is he getting a ton of coverage about you know his daughter's happy childhood and you know his great role in bringing them up in this system it's it's all very suspect I think and if I were to bet on this I would assume that you know um, the secrets about or I guess not the secrets, but I'm saying the the news that Jeffrey Epstein was probably close to being arrested or something probably probably wasn't a secret, right? Like you can if you've got your eyes in the right places, then you're going to know this is coming in some way. Or it's possible perhaps even that if they were really close friends, like Epstein reached out to him and was like, Hey, this is coming, you might want to watch out. Like, who knows? But I don't find the timing of those stories very coincidental. No. And it's funny because I haven't seen very much coverage until like a couple days ago where it was like, oh, I think one of the phrases was he's like really shitting his pants now. And it was like, oh, okay, now he is like this has been a thing. And for like months. this, this yeah. years. I mean, this has been a thing that. Well, I mean, came like it's been a thing years. again for months. Yeah. But what I got, what I thought was interesting is when it when it first all kind of dropped. Um, Queen Elizabeth is in Scotland. At is it Balmoral? Is that how you say it? Balmoral. So um, I say it. And Andrew was like the first person to join her there, and they went to church, and it was like a big photo op. Right. And that was honestly, I think, a little jarring because that is clearly a signal from the queen to the press that I'm supporting my son. And look, I don't know if you can. She's what, 93? Like, he's her favorite. I don't think that we can sit there and say she has to answer for his crimes. She doesn't, but also it is her job to protect him because by throwing her power over him, she protects the monarchy, like, as a whole. Like, as I, a sh- if she can yeah. help contain this as much as possible, then that's her job right now. But I'm, what so I'm, regardless of what her, like, personal feelings towards him might be at the moment, she's going to put on the public show. Right, and that's what I'm getting at, is this was a public display of solidarity. And it was, they were photographed very clearly. It was two of them. It was using 
the press and the gossip as a weapon, as a shield. And then Jeffrey Epstein died, so Andrew left. Although, uh, you know, maybe that was already planned. I don't know. Hard to say. But really interesting situation. I just think it's an example that we can't ignore at the moment of how there's a lot of negative press coming their way. So you're seeing almost like the deployment of like pawns going out in the press like oh well did you guys know that Meghan and Harry flew to Ibiza and they went on a private jet isn't that scandalous you know put that out there and then you know next week we might see like William and Harry are fighting again did you guys know that have you guys heard that story like oh here's a new angle it's because William wouldn't share his favorite burger recipe you know whatever it is like it's going to be something stupid like that and then and then you might see more stories about how Kate is the perfect mother and honestly I you might see a photo op with the baby Archie that might get deployed so it's an interesting imagine that will be deployed willingly (laughs) but so that's a great question what is the obligation here? Who is the, like, when you're trying to protect the institution, isn't your job to yeah. swallow your values and your morals and maybe trot the baby out for a nice photo op? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a high likelihood. And it, you know, I, you know, thinking back to the polo match where, Megan brought the baby to the polo match. And you're thinking, like, that was a on its face kind of an odd thing to do. You know, if you're trying to keep your baby away from the press and you know you're going to be photographed there, like, and she did keep him as covered up as she could, but he was there and he didn't need to be. So I wonder if that's part of, like, the early strategy of get all these happy headlines out there. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all so maybe she's already trotted the baby out. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, the point of this discussion is just to say that, like, this is all symbiotic. Like, my biggest pet peeve is when I read something and it's like they can't help the coverage. They can't help getting photographed. They can't help that people are interested in their lives. Yes, for a cer- to a certain extent, that is true. But if you think that they are not encouraging the coverage, if you think that they are not helping to guide and manipulate the coverage, and if you think that they are not leaking stories, you're wrong. I mean, look, if they didn't want to be a willing participant in this narrative, they wouldn't have a press office. Exactly. But they, could, they do. They have several. So yeah. they, they are willing participants in this, yes, while trying their best to maintain a who me exactly exactly yes so and I guess that like kind of leads into this thing is like when we're talking about gossip you know when we're talking about the press we're really talking about the gossip press I mean they aren't writing hard news stories about this unless this is not like yeah Anderson Cooper right like yeah (laughs) unless Prince Andrew gets arrested this isn't this isn't hard news um so it's 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 gossip it's it's like some people think it's like icky some people it's like tabloid trash and I guess the question is like but if this all functions to keep them relevant and functions to keep them front and center in pop culture is it really bad like is it really trashy is it really like 
fluff. I mean, I think it's almost like a study in culture. It's like, how do you keep yourself relevant if you if your job is a figurehead? You are to a percentage living off taxpayer income, although as we've talked about before, they're not really living off the taxpayer income for the most part. They have a lot of private wealth that isn't, Mm -hmm. um, you know, completely public knowledge. Um, Isn't, don't they want people to be reading about them? I mean, that's, that's really the point, right? Like who's going to care when Charles becomes king if Charles is king, unless people are a little bit invested in his personal life. Right. Or if nobody's talked about Charles for 20 years and he becomes king, everybody's going to be like, huh? Who cares? <laughs> you know, like, Why? no, like, there's no interest. And so, yeah. 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 So I think, like, when you read these stories, I guess what we're trying to talk about is, and not to sound like too preachy, but it's like you have to kind of, I, I like to read them at like a five, or a, what do you call it, a 10,000 foot view or what is it? You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like you take the high bird's eye view. Right. Look at it from objective. Look at it objectively from above. Like who is this serving? Because I think what the reason I wanted to talk about this is I've mentioned this before. Like I like to read gossip websites and I like to read stuff about the royals. It's something I find interesting and I, you know, I have a long commute in the morning and that's how I pass my time. But I get so irritated when I'm reading comment sections and people are taking this stuff so personally and they are convinced that like William and Kate want nothing more than to like smear Meghan and Harry or like, um, you know, Meghan is setting out to destroy the royal family. And it's just kind of like, really, guys, like you're missing the point the point is to keep to keep them relevant everything you think is true is probably not true you're just you're being fed pieces and you kind of have to take with a great everything with a little bit of a grain of salt and think about the source stuff like the yeah exactly that's what i'm gonna say like it's from a friend of a friend of a friend who's like cleaning person like overheard something you know like it's very removed from the source and and also as you know I think a great one we could talk about was that um that story about Megan and Harry asking people not to pet their dogs like someone just did that as a prank yeah and it was probably a joke and then it gets like through a game of telephone it gets reported as actual fact right because because then you have to go back to this idea of the royal press corps and they're all jockeying for a position and they all want to be seen as having the newest best information most of them don't know anything or they're being fed by people with an agenda right we've talked about this too and we didn't talk about this at all the role of the courtiers those are the what did diana call them the little gray men or the men in the little men in the gray suits or something like that they're vipers <laughs> they are the ones who because all of their power comes from whoever they serve so if if you're serving charles you want him to be the most popular you want him to be seen as the most stable you want him to be seen as the best of the best 
And so you might have an agenda to go out there and say, everybody thinks William is so great, but let me tell you about how William is a little brat. You know what I mean? And who does that serve? That serves your boss and that makes your boss happy. And maybe he didn't put that out there, but there's a part of him that's like, oh, people think I'm better than my son. Great. Because we talked about this too. What a weird family dynamic. I was going to say that that's going to create some messed up, familial relationships but that's the nature of it we talked about that with elizabeth and charles like they don't have a very close relationship because how could you possibly have a close relationship with a child who can only meet their destiny when you die what was it that line in the crown when she has charles and anne and then she starts having more kids and someone makes a a quip about like she can it's time to have some children she could actually love yeah or she she can be a real mother or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's true. I mean, yeah. you know, we talked about that when we talked about Eleanor of Aquitaine and all of her kids were going against their father. And it was like, well, you have to have princes, you have to have heirs, but they're a pain in the ass <laughs> because if you don't die soon enough, then, then they want power and you have to give it to them. And the only way they can get that is to rise against you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is all just meant to be kind of like food for thought. Like we've been talking about this a lot and we thought like as we keep reading this stuff, we'll text each other and be like, did you see this? This is crazy. Like, do you agree with this spin? Or like, you know, I read an article and I wish I could remember what it was. I I remember I sent you the link and I said, I really like this analysis. And oh, it was the Atlantic Yes. Okay. Thank you. I couldn't remember what it was, and I couldn't find no, it, it was, in my history. It was a full analysis of the treatment of Meghan Markle by the British press in the Atlantic, which tells you the degree to which people are noticing and thinking about this. Because I, but I don't know if I've ever seen the Atlantic write an article about gossip. <laughs> but what I appreciated about that article is that it wasn't completely. It was very objective. Um, yes. It was because it was also talking about the fact that like Meghan Markle goes out there and she says like I want to be this charitable person and I want to change the world and it was talking about the limitations that she's facing because you can't be a disruptor if you're part of an institution like the British royal family. It has its own limitations. Basically the point of the article was you can only strive for change and change the world in name only. You can't actually make substantive changes. And like but you it was, can raise awareness. You can raise but awareness. You're no, not that, going to solve yes, the problem. Yes. And that's basically what it was talking about was the limitations of you can use your platform, but you can't get off the platform. You can't get down into the muck. And so I thought that was a really good article. So if you haven't seen that, it was in the Atlantic. And um, it was a really good um, exploration of the position that she's in, what she's said she wants to do, how she's been met with resistance, how she's been portrayed in the press, and the limitations of her position. Um, Basically, it was about the limitations of modern monarchy, which I I thought it was really well done. I appreciated reading that a lot. No, I thought it was um, really thoughtful, actually. Yeah, it was a good piece. I wish I could remember the name of the article or the author. So just go to the, it was in the Atlantic. That's all, 
that's all I can say. I'm so sorry. I, I meant to look that up, and I just, but I couldn't remember what it was about. Um, so I, th- I mean, you know, that's it. This is like a very light episode. Like we said, we call these our bridge episodes. Um, if you're interested in other episodes like this, we have our episode on royal baby names. We have our episode on royal marriage traditions in the modern era. We have our Teach Me How to Duchess, which I liked, which was um, just kind of about some of the protocol um rules that Megan and Kate might face and actually I think we talked a lot about the press in that one as well because a lot of the yeah quote-unquote protocol rules that are out there are kind of not real rules um so you know if you're interested in um episodes like this let us know maybe we can find some other topics that we like but we just kind of sometimes we just want to have a topic and just kind of like you know philosophize a little bit because um we're interested in this topic um, and it's like, it's the, I don't want to call it, um, I almost said the word brainless and that's not really what I mean. It's like, it's the lighter topics about like, you know, some of the, the reality of monarchy and frankly, the bizarreness of a system that, you know, when we, especially when we get into the weeds of it, I'm just constantly confronted with this, uh, this idea of like, why are we still doing this? Um, you know, I find these really fun to talk about because, I think it does open the discussion up a little bit more freeform, right? So um, it's it's really interesting to think about and engage in. And it's fun to kind of do it through the lens of like, let's let's talk some gossip or, you know, let's let's talk baby names and take bets on what, you know, they're going to name their kids. So it's fun. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just meant to be a little bit lighter um, because we are going to take another little break. I know our posting schedule has been all over the place this summer but we are going to come back probably in like a month or so with another series um and this time we're going to be focusing on kings who have lost their crowns and in almost all cases their heads yeah basically we're talking about those who failed (laughs) yep so um I think that'll be coming in the next month or so. Um, I think we've talked about um, we're definitely going to look at someone, some one of the Ottoman bloody successions because that definitely piqued my interest. So I asked Allie if we could cover that. Well, um, and it's interesting because we didn't really get to it because it came after the period that we were talking about um, with Roxelana, but, you know... Um, I think in the 17th century maybe or maybe even a little bit later um, when they changed the approach to succession they introduced a bit more um, I suppose occasion for overthrowing the sultan. Yes so we'll cover something like that yeah and then I think we're also going to fit in the war of the roses. Yes and and, of course, the most famous English king to lose his head. Charles. Yes. And well, because we don't want to leave the women out, Marie Antoinette. Oh, yeah. Also lost her head. You're right. Wow, that's a common theme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess it's the only way to, like, truly get rid of them is just, you know, kill them in this what they thought of, I guess, is a very dignified manner. I don't know. It's so interesting. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about the role of the guillotine and hangings and 
all that. So, and in one case of smothering. So you know, <laughs> come here for the good content. Um, anyway, if you're still listening, thank you for listening. We really appreciate everybody. Um, you know, this is like purely a hobby for us, but it's fun. So we are happy that there are people out there listening. And um, thank you for your feedback and for following us on Instagram. And for emailing and all of that good stuff. All right. All right. Until next time. Until then. Monarchast is produced by me, Allie. And me, Claire. And our logo is by Ryan Cooney. If you like our episodes and want to give us a shout out, please rate or review us on iTunes or Google Play or whatever your preferred method of podcast listening is. We really appreciate it.